thank goodness 2020 is finally behind us unfortunately a lot of us put christmas on a credit card and those bills well they're still in front of us here's a pro tip for you don't make a new year's resolution to save money just head over to savewithconrad.com right now we make saving money fast and easy just ask benji in louisiana he left us a five-star review and wrote why did i wait so long process was very easy no hard sell signed closing documents at my kitchen table what about jared up in beeville texas he says this was a quick and easy process first family was very helpful and easy to communicate with they always got back to me in a timely manner i would recommend first family to anyone what about william in gallatin tennessee he says it was great working with jimmy and the rest of conrad's staff at first family who knew listening to grilling jr and something to wrestle could save me over 130 grand and seven years off of my loan with almost no increase in payment find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com and here's the thing you don't need perfect credit you don't need money out of your pocket and we're licensed in more than 40 states so what are you waiting for if you've got credit card debt it's not a matter of if we can save you money it's a matter of how much find out right now for free and keep more of your own money at savewithconrad.com nmls number 65084 equal housing lender oh and did i mention no house payments for two months hurry to savewithconrad.com right now do you own or rent your home sure you do fortunately geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance it's a good thing too because having a home is hard work go to geico.com get a quote and see how much you could save geico.com easy twinkle twinkle little star everybody's heard this make sure your sweetheart knows she's your star picture it it's valentine's day and she opens this really cool gift box and outslides a blue rose trimmed in gold you know the blue color of the sky just before the sun sets and you can start seeing all the stars sparkling in the night sky that's breathtaking now picture a magnificent real 24 karat gold rose deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold with petals in this rich blue color covered in sparkles that mimic the stars in the sky that's twinkle twinkle the brand new exclusive rose only available at Steven Singer Jewelers. Real jewelers, real roses, really dipped in pure 24 karat gold with a real lifetime guarantee. It's always the number one Valentine's Day gift that lasts forever. It comes with your own free personal love note and it ships fast and free to the love of your life, your wife, your daughter, or your sweetheart. And it says, I'm so lucky to have you in my life. Steven's brand new roses is $79. But his real 24 karat gold dipped roses started only 59. Go right now to IHateStevenSinger.com. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? 
I am doing well, enjoying another beautiful day in sunny Florida. Looking forward to coming back and seeing you up in Huntsville shortly and then making my way back to Cody, Wyoming. Well, happy new year to everyone at home. We greatly appreciate all of your support. You made a great 2020 for our families and our shows and, and all that we're trying to do here. And we hope that we were a bright spot for you as well and a, and a needed distraction for 2020, but here's to hoping that 2021 is much, much better. We thought, Hey, what better way to get the year started than to just give the keys to the show to you guys. So we're doing a hashtag ask Eric, anything that allows us to, uh, really put you in control of the show, bounce around, cover a lot of different topics all at the same time. Next week, we're going to cover the sin pay-per-view from January of 2001. There's only three pay-per-views left in WCW's history. And this is right on the heels of the fusion media announcement. So, uh, don't miss that next week. We've got a fun January planned for you, but without further ado, let's jump into it right now. Uh, coach Rosie wants to know what's the biggest takeaway you get from your wife, Lori, when it comes to a life shift, of course, coach is a member of our group over at adfreeshows.com, And I think she's been, he's been using Lori to, uh, sort of accomplish some personal goals he had. Well, wow. There's, there's been so many of them, but if I had to pick one thing really, um, it's learning how to not let other people's negativity affect me and my outlook. I was pretty, I was pretty vulnerable to that, um, throughout the majority of my life until I realized largely because of Lori that if I give someone the opportunity to put me in a bad mood, if I give somebody else the power to make me think in a negative way, I'm letting someone else control my life. Yes. And why in the world would I ever want to do that? And she would say things like that to me. She would try to, in a very nuanced, subtle way, because Lori also knows I can be a little stubborn and, and resistant sometimes. Really? Um, and sometimes she has to work really hard to make things seem like it's my idea mm-hmm. <laughs> in order for me to me to absorb it more readily and not resist it. And when she finally, after quite a while of of working at that, because she saw that as a weakness, that's a flaw in my character. It's not something I'm proud of by any stretch. But when she finally broke through to me and the light bulb went off in my head, it's like, why in the world would I ever give somebody else the power to put me in a bad mood? Right. When I have the choice to be in a good mood, if I just choose to think in a more positive way. So I think if, because everything else that I've learned, you know, as a result of being married to Lori for as long as I have and kind of opening myself up over the, and it's not been new. I mean, this is something that's been going on for 25 or 30 years. Just it's been progressive during that course of time. But it, it seems like that was to me the turning point because once you allow, once you realize that if you're in a crappy mood or if you're in a negative mood, more often than not, it's because you allowed someone to put you in that mood. You don't wake up and say to yourself, or I don't wake up and say to myself, I'm just going to walk around. I'll be all pissy today because yeah, it's Tuesday and I hate Tuesdays. So fuck it. I'm just going to be in a bad mood. You don't do that. But when you allow people, and sometimes it's news. Sometimes it's what you hear on the radio. You know, it's just life people you work with. Why would you empower them? 
Why? It's no different than me walking into a bar and walking up to somebody and say, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks to punch me in the mouth. Why would I do that? Well, you do the same thing when you allow other people to affect your moods and your outlook. And that's probably the one thing that I've learned of all the things I've learned. That's the thing. That's the thing I've learned. That's allowed me to change a lot of other things in my life. I love the, uh, the thing you said about you're allowing someone else to control your life. I learned that in my mortgage business when I was first really trying to grow and and be competitive in the market. Uh, There was a guy who was, very well branded here in town and had done a lot of advertising and marketing. And he was sort of a local market leader and I became obsessed with beating him. And I was trying to get whatever Intel I could, how many units did they do? And what was their volume and all those sort of metrics that we keep up with. And then one day when I finally got the information, I realized that we had done a lot more than he had, but it was almost defeating. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, in a weird way, I was letting this guy determine how much money I made. Because if he did, I don't know, hundred loans, I wanted to do one Oh one. Well, I should really push myself to do as much as I could not be one better than him. Uh, and, and that little bit of a shift made a huge difference for me. So that's some good stuff from Laurie. Yeah, it, it really did. And, and again, that's, that's one really important thing that I've learned about myself and about life in general, because I think a lot of people are like that. You know, we, we, it's so easy to allow other things to influence your outlook or my outlook, I should say. Um, But then once I realized that you can start applying that same theory and philosophy, I guess, um, to a lot of other aspects of your life and realize it's, you know, how you feel when you go to bed at night is up to you. How I feel when I wake up in the morning, it's all up to me. Everything that happens throughout the day, it's up to me. If I want to be in a bad mood, that's my choice. I don't have to, I choose to, well, why would I want to do that? And I, and now it's second nature to me. I, I don't like being around negative people. I just don't just because I don't want to pay attention to them. I don't want to hear what they have to say. I don't want to let them influence me. So I just choose to be around positive people. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, cheerleaders and people that are always panning you on the back, but I like to be around people that are looking for a positive outcome and whatever it is they're doing. If it's planting the fucking garden, that's cool too. Somebody's excited about tomatoes. I can get excited about tomatoes. Right. If I'm around somebody that gets excited about planting tomatoes, but I tend now to seek out those people as opposed to hopefully having them, you know, cross paths with me in my day-to-day life. So it's a, it's all about choices. Passion is infectious, is it not? It is indeed. It is indeed. Charlie Thrower says, Mr. Bischoff, during your time in WWTNA or even recently WWE, was there a talent that you thought could change the course of the product? Like Hogan going to WCW? Was there one like sort of standout talent that you wish maybe things would have been a little different for? Or they had a different opportunity because you thought they could help level it up? Oh, no, I don't think that way. I mean, it's, I don't process things around me that way. There's certainly been a lot of talent that I have been impressed with, both in TNA and WWE, and and even just as a fan watching AEW at home or watching WWE at home on occasion when I do. There's a lot of talent that I see something in that <clears throat> I think perhaps I see something that maybe no one else does, or maybe I'm just kidding myself. Other people see it too, and I just need to be patient. Um, but I don't think any one talent, I firmly believe what I'm about to say. I don't think there's any talent on the face of the earth that can change the course of the business by themselves. 
it's got to be the right talent at the right time in the right place, surrounded by kind of what we were just talking about, the right people at the right time. That's going to shift the business. If the business is going to shift, it's going to shift as a result of a multiple of different things in a variety of different things. Certainly not just talent. Talent's always going to be important. This is a talent driven business always has been always will be, but it takes more than just the talent for a seismic shift to occur. And um, I see a lot of talent out there that I think has a ton of potential, but it's just about timing and being in the right place at the right time and being surrounded by the right people. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Everybody's heard this. Make sure your sweetheart knows she's your star. Picture it. It's Valentine's day. And she opens this really cool gift box and outslides a blue rose trimmed in gold. You know, the blue color of the sky just before the sun sets. And you can start seeing all the stars sparkling in the night sky. That's breathtaking. Now picture a magnificent real 24 karat gold rose deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold with petals in this rich blue color covered in sparkles that mimic the stars in the sky. That's twinkle twinkle, the brand new exclusive rose only available at Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelers, real roses, really dipped in pure 24 karat gold with a real lifetime guarantee. It's always the number one Valentine's day gift that lasts forever. It comes with your own free personal love note. And it ships fast and free to the love of your life, your wife, your daughter, or your sweetheart. And it says, I'm so lucky to have you in my life. Steven's brand new roses is $79, but his real 24 karat gold dipped roses started only 59. Go right now to I hate Steven singer.com. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Mr. Bischoff, how would you have booked the invasion? Which one? The, uh, the WCW invasion of the WWF summer of 2001. Of course, we remember Lance storm, buff Bagwell, Booker T. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I wasn't trying to be a smart ass to just been different invasions. So I wasn't sure. Sure. I, I should have reacted quicker to that one. Um, I'll tell you what I wouldn't have done. What I'm not sure did. what I would have done, Yeah. but I can sure tell you what I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have had Vince McMahon turn around and reveal himself in the chair as the evil genius that was going to bring back the NWO to, to destroy his own company. That was such a non-starter from a creative perspective. Yeah. It absolutely, you could, I don't care how big of a fan you were of WWE at the time. You couldn't possibly buy that. It's just, it was so nonsensical that to me, it wasn't about, it was, some of it was the talent, but there were certain things going on. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to reveal them here. I happen to know things that I only know because I was behind the scenes afterwards. Um, but it wasn't just about the talent that was or wasn't available. It was the premise. Just, God, I, I'm so hesitant to say what I'm about to say only because I've said it so many times. But if you start out a story with one foot on a banana peel and the other in a bucket of cement, where are you going? Right. And that's exactly what that was. Yet WWE had one foot on a banana peel and the other foot in a bucket of cement. That's how the story started. And it was, there was no way it was going to get better from there. Let's do another one here. This is from uh, thunder. If you had to be dropped on your head, 
Who would you want to do it? A Steiner brother, Taz, Brock, or Medusa? God, I am resisting the temptation to make such a sleazy joke. <laughs> I said, I set you up. That was my bad. I am just, it's taking every ounce of discipline I have left in my 65 year old carcass, but I'm going to let that go out of respect to not only Medusa, who I think has a pretty good sense of humor, but I don't know her husband quite as well. So he's I'm a Marine. Let this so let's fly. just keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd have to go for Brock. You know, I, I would, I would want the physically strongest person, um, on planet earth to drop me on my head. If I was going to get dropped on my head, um, cause I see a lot of, you know, I, God, I see a lot of tombstones and I just pile drivers and I just, uh, uh-uh, man, not me. That's one that can really get you jamming all those vertebrae together, coming down your head, crushing, compressing all those discs in your spine, your neck, your back. That's a seriously, potentially serious, serious issue. So I'd go for the gusto, man. I'd, I'd, I'd have the strongest guy I know do it. That would be Brock. James wants to know, can you explain the seven character and what happened when Dustin came out and did the shoot promo on it? I can't, I cannot begin to explain it. Uh, here's what I, wish I could. And I'm not saying I hated it. I don't remember the promo to be, to be fair. Right. Um, it might've been a great promo. It might've been a nonsensical promo. I don't know. Cause I don't remember it. I'd have to go back and look at it, but visually I thought the character looked pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know where it came from or if it was a derivative of another character or a book or a movie or anything like that, but it looked really, really cool from a visual point of view, but I really don't understand what was behind that character. Uh, mayhem says the USA network is wanting WWE to be more mature in content. If you were Vince, how would you go about it in today's society? Ron panty matches are long gone. Some of the DX stuff doesn't age. Well, Vince now frowns on blood. What would USA consider mature in your opinion? First of all, we don't know that that's true. Okay. We, we read in a dirt sheet somewhere or online somewhere that that's what USA wants. I don't think we've heard a USA spokesperson say that. Um, so I, number one, I don't know that it's true and I'm not sure that it is. Um, for me though, here I go again. I'm trying, I'm trying every week. I try to think of new ways to say the same thing. I think you can attract a more adult, more mature audience with a more challenging, provocative, and compelling story. It doesn't have to be sex. It doesn't have to be gratuitous violence. I look at some of the best shows on TV right now, and it's because they're really interesting, layered characters involved in really interesting, layered stories. By layered, I mean it's never just... It's never quite obvious what an intention is. It's never quite obvious what a love interest is. There's always dips and turns and there's always layers to those stories. And I think the challenge that I have, and you know, I've read, unfortunately, you know, you and I do these things, Conrad, and I have so much fun doing them. I get caught up sometimes and sometimes I'm overly caffeinated and I tend to be kind of a um, in your face type of a, 
person anyway when I'm having fun in these types of conversations. I typically say what's on the tip of my tongue, and then I think about it. And there's been occasions in the last couple of weeks when people who have covered the things that we talk about, whether it's Russell Zone or Wrestling Inc. or, or anybody else, um, and I appreciate their coverage, by the way, and they, they're almost word for word accurate. You know, they almost transcribe the things that we're saying. So it's not like I'm being taken out of context. And I read some of these things back. I'm going, oh, that's, that's a little harsh. It's not exactly what I meant. It's what I said, by the way. But it's not exactly the way I wanted it to come out. I think what WWE, AEW need to do is really, f- and they already know this. I'm not, you know, they're not listening to, you know, the Wizard of Oz here behind the curtain. They already know. They're, they're well aware of what I'm saying. It's how you get there. But I do think that the stories and the storytelling and the way wrestling is being presented currently can improve quite a bit as a means to attract a little more mature, more mature. And by mature, I just mean a little more sophisticated. I think one of the mistakes that people make, even people in the business make, sometimes it's subconscious. I've, I've heard myself say things sometimes. I go, no, you're wrong. You know, um, I catch myself and I catch other people in the business. You assume wrestling fans are one type of fan. You assume, you know, who's watching your show. But how many times, Conrad, have you and I come across people? I, I know I'll just speak for myself. When I do, you know, on amfreeshows.com, we do a promotion like we recently did, where I call fans and I have a communicate. I don't just call and say, hey, how are you doing? Thank you very much for, you know, supporting amfreeshows.com. We get into real conversations. Right. And and how many times, I can't tell you the number of times I call you sometimes. I go, Conrad, I just got to tell you this before I forget. I was just talking to this guy who was, you know, part of the promotion, and, you know, he's a, nuclear physicist that works for the department of defense or an astronaut, you know, not, a, we, I don't think we've had an astronaut yet, but we work with, I've talked to people that work for NASA, you know, we've talked to judges. Right. I, we, I've talked to lawyers who one recently a month or two ago uh, from Kansas, who was just licensed to, to argue cases before the U S Supreme court. These are people who are, sophisticated and are looking for sophisticated types of stories. Now, not everybody is, and you can't cater entirely to an audience who is super sophisticated and looking for really rich, deep stories, but you can certainly meet them halfway. And I think sometimes the stories and the way, not so much the stories themselves, but the way the stories are presented don't really appeal to an older audience. And we sometimes assume that everything that we or everything that everybody want, wants to see in wrestling is what we've been doing. And it's not the case. They're looking for something fresh. They're looking for something that makes them feel like this thing. They love professional wrestling that we've all, we all love. We've everybody that's listening to this, certainly you and I throughout our lives, professional wrestling has been a kind of an important part of our life. And in my case, it's provided a living for my family for the last 30 some odd years. Uh, so obviously I have a love for it, but it has to change and it has to grow. And the way we tell the stories, just like dramatic series do, the way sitcoms do, movies do, music does, books do, they have to evolve in order to keep the imagination of, of the people that you're targeting as your audience. And that's what I think, whether it's USA Network or TNT or Access or wherever Impact is, whatever it is, 
any network is going to be proud and excited about content, about storytelling, about characters that grow that audience. And I think the only way you can grow that audience is by continuing to make it more interesting. And I think in the case of wrestling, because wrestling is what wrestling is, but you can present it in a much different way. You can be more disciplined in the way you tell your stories. You can be more disciplined in the way you present your characters. And that's really what it comes down to is first of all, recognizing that you've got a challenge. And once you've recognized it, you've identified it, find a solution and then be disciplined enough to stick with it for six months or a year or 18 months, because nothing happens overnight anymore. You know, you and I both lived through myself in particular, you were much younger, but you know, I was a part of that period of time when wrestling went from being eh, in the mid nineties, 94, yeah. 93, 94, um, and then fast forward to 97 is, whoa, cool. it, that's not going to happen like that again, because the world has changed. Not because Eric Bischoff was so much smarter than anybody else at that time or anything like that. The conditions were absolutely right for that opportunity to, to, for the audience to tap into what we were doing and for it to explode. The world has changed since then. Now it's going to take a, a longer approach. It's going to take a, a much longer strategic decision, but in the, not just saying, well, you know, we're going to get there someday. You have to identify what that is and figure out how you're going to get there and then commit to it and be disciplined enough to stick with it. And the audience will follow. They really will. Um, and I forgot the question. <laughs> well, we were just talking about, you know, what USA considers mature. What would you do? But you yeah, sort of I think people, again, just to put a button on it, I think people sometimes when they hear, well, first of all, again, I don't really think that that's true. Right. I don't know if it is or it isn't. I should say is better. But if it is indeed true and USA or any network wants a more, more mature audience, it's really easy for people who are not in the industry to go, oh, more mature means more adult. More adult means closer R-rated, maybe X-rated. No, it's not that. More mature is, in my opinion, more sophisticated when it comes to television. Um, when it comes to porn, that's different. But when it comes to television, when I hear somebody wants a more mature audience, they want a, they want a richer, deeper story with richer, deeper characters. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Let's, um, uh, let's do another question about the old days. Was there ever a moment in WCW where you tried to bring in either Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe or Sergeant Slaughter? No, that is not to say I didn't covet Pat Patterson. Mm. It's not to say I wouldn't have brought Pat Patterson in if I thought there was a ice cubes chance in hell of doing so. I didn't really become aware of Pat Patterson's influence on the WWE product until probably 95, 96, 
And about that same time, I began to understand the relationship between Pat and Vince and just how close they were and how impossible that would have been. So even though I would have wanted to bring Pat in, I also knew at the same time it wasn't possible. And I may have told you this before on a podcast, or I may have told you personally, I'm not sure. But one of the reasons that Johnny Ace, you know, got into WCW is because once I realized, you know, I'm not, I don't have anybody in WCW that has a Pat Patterson ability or talent when it came to finishes. I was led to believe, and I had enough different, as many different people tell me that knew Pat and knew what was really going on in WWE. And they all said the same thing. Pat Patterson, when it comes to finishes, there's nobody on the planet better than Pat Patterson. Once I began to, you know, realize that, and also at the same time, like I said, realize that there's no way in hell I was going to get Pat to come to WCW. My thought was, okay, if I can't get Pat Patterson, who else is there? out there now to be fair and i'm going to see jerry briscoe that next week by the way we're going to hang out here actually this week um thursday as a matter of fact i've always i love jerry briscoe jerry's coolest cat in the world i can't wait to hang out with him it's going to be a blast but i was never given the impression that jerry was really the same level of finish guy as pat right that may have been unfair or inaccurate or maybe I just didn't listen closely enough but I realized that I needed to find somebody and if it wasn't going to be Pat Patterson who was it going to be because I did not have anybody in WCW that had the ability obviously we had a lot of people in WCW that had been the booker that had a lot of great ideas but finishes weren't a part of them and we needed better finishes. So that's how Johnny Ace, I heard, heard the word. Johnny was the guy in Japan that was booking some really, really great finishes. And I went back and looked at some of the tapes and stuff that Johnny had been involved with um, in Japan. And I went, okay, well, can't get Pat. I'm going to bring in Johnny. And unfortunately, never really got a chance to work with Johnny as a finish guy. He came into WCW and ended up working in talent relations before we had a chance to get him into, into creative when you were saying the timeline of when you realized what the relationship was like with Pat and Vince, that lines up or, you know, once Hogan's there, is Hogan, the one telling you about their relationship. Hogan was a big part of it. You know, um, Hogan was a part of it. Randy Savage, okay. same thing. Randy Savage thought a lot of Pat Patterson from, from, a, you know, when it came to finishes, there was no one that I talked to that had worked in WWF or WWE that didn't say the same thing about Pat Patterson. Cause I was, I was bitch about it. I would come in and go, God, their finishes are so, we do everything else as well as they do in some cases better, but our finishes suck. Why is that? You know, there were three, I always used to call them three dimensional finishes, you know, not just false finishes. You know, sometimes you, you know, it was one of the notes that I made on the previous show that we did. There were so many false finishes in the match that it got to the point where the false finishes just don't mean anything anymore. You become numb to them after a while. They don't have the desired effect that they should. And a lot of times people would, you know, when I'd say, I need, I need a, I need a three dimensional finish. I want three layers to my finish. I wasn't very good at articulating what I wanted because I wasn't an in-ring guy. That wasn't my forte. I knew what I wanted, but I didn't really do a good job communicating what I wanted. And the people around me all thought, oh, we just need more false finishes. It's not false finishes. It's, it's a shift 
just when you think the movie's over, not vis-a-vis a false finish, but another element in the story and the body of the match. Whoa, no, it's not over at all. And there is more hope. It's, it's hard to articulate, but I know what I, I, I know what I see when I see it. And we weren't seeing it. And that's like, again, that's why Johnny got into WCW. Great question here. We've never touched on before. Davey says, if you were unsuccessful in selling Hogan on being the third man in the NWO, and you had to go with sting, which you've explained was your backup plan. Would he have still been called sting or would you have started to refer to him as Steve Borden to fit in with the realism of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall? And would he have continued to wear face paint or would he have gone sans paint really for the first time? Damn. Who gave us that question? It's a great question. And it's from Davy P. Thank you, Davy, for putting me on my ass on that question, man. That's a good one. Here's the honest answer. I don't know. <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I just, because I hadn't thought about it now. In, you know, a little bit of a defense for myself. The idea of using, of getting, once Sting agreed to be the third man, it was literally within days that I ended up getting a phone call from Hogan and flew out to California. So I hadn't spent a ton of time thinking about or communicating with Sting about the best way to, to present this new character. It's not, I knew I would have had to think about it, but I honestly, we hadn't, we hadn't gotten to that point yet. So what I'm about to say is what I hope I would have done. Okay. I'm going to take the easy way out here, but it's the only honest thing to do in retrospect. I would have, I would not have wanted to see him in face paint that I'm absolutely sure of because that was the idea behind the NWO was to make it more real and believable. And the face paint would have been so miscast within the NWO would not have fit at all. I probably still would have stuck with the name Sting, just like we stuck with the name Hulk. We didn't call him Terry. <laughs> you know, we stuck with Hulk Hogan. So um, probably sans paint without the paint, but more likely than not, um, he would have kept a Sting persona. But I think everything else about him um, would have changed. He would have gone from, you know, the glittery, glittery you know, more Neon. energetic character to something a little darker and more real. Uh, Tyler says, do you have a favorite moment with Rowdy Roddy Piper? I do. And it didn't happen in the ring. It happened backstage in an event when I walked into my dressing room and Roddy was sitting in my dressing room with my then probably 14 year old son having a conversation, neither one of them even realized I walked into the room and watching Roddy talking to my son, like he was the most important person, like talking to my son, like my son was the most important person in the world at that particular moment was and is still important to me. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Josh says, why didn't you ever bring Rena Miro into the company while Mark was under contract? God, I don't know. I've asked myself that question a million times. <laughs> um, 
honest answer is Johnny. Uh, I'm not going to speak for Johnny. I never got the impression that Johnny wanted Rena around the business all that much. They had a young kid or two, I believe. Can't remember. At least one very, very young, young child. Uh, and Rena was so. I mean, I you know I visited Mark at his house. I had gone to Mark's house to watch a Tyson fight or two and, and socialize with Mark and and Rena. Um, but I never got the impression that she would have even entertained the idea of stepping out in front of a camera. She was the shyest, most private, polite, but private person I had ever met backstage. And it just would not, I would have, I, I just can't conceive of a moment where I would have said, I got an idea. Right. Let's put your wife out there with you. She was very conservative, very, like just very, very private. It, I just never would have gotten the impression she would have ever wanted to be on camera. Shows you what I know. Big extra says, at what point did you know the NWO was out of hand? It was a great group and I had five to six members, but when it had more members, it seemed to be more watered down. I know that's the you know prevailing opinion uh, of a lot of people that listen to the show and certainly a lot of people that were watching, you know, Nitro back in the day. It wasn't, it wasn't because the NWO got too big. It was because the NW, the NWO got big because there was a plan for the NWO to have its own show and for the WCW brand to have its own show. And if the NWO was going to have its own show, guess what the NWO needed? More people on the roster. Right. Where, where things went awry and where the whole plan really began to collapse is when it became apparent to me almost impossible to achieve what we had started out to do. That's when all of a sudden we wake up one day and go, oh, well, we're not going to be able to do that. Now what do we do? By that point, the NWO had way more people on the roster than it needed. It's not an excuse. It's just it is what it is. We've covered this before in different conversations, different topics, different shows. But again, NWO was supposed to have TNT Nitro. WCW was supposed to have Thunder. Had plans gone the way we had hoped they would have gone, the way that I wanted them to go, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We might be having a different conversation, but we wouldn't be having this one. I love talking about our friend, Steven Singer. I'll tell you the competition must really hate this guy. He just makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better. And he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every customer the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Well, head to Steven Singer jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the guy sitting next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The guy next to you might be paying less. Do you want the most important purchase of your life to be based on your negotiating skills? That's not the case at Steven Singer because at Steven Singer jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. So check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. 
Let's do another one here. This is from, uh, Joseph. He says, if the AOL time Warner merger would have never happened, do you think you could have made Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho and others main event superstars? The idea being you had a lot of great talent that ultimately didn't become main eventers until they left. I don't think the AOL time Warner merger had anything to do with the timing of Jericho, for example, um, becoming a main event talent. I I think in fair, that was, that was on me. That wasn't because of the merger, right? The the merger had nothing to do with it. What the, the issue for me was you had starting at the top, you know, Bill Goldberg, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, Randy Savage, Lex Luger, Sting, um, a lot of other very um, dependable top stars um, that were still very viable. And it would have been difficult. It's hard for me to imagine a scenario where I would have said, okay, let's take a chance on a Chris Jericho. Let's put Roddy Piper over where and Roddy's not even a good example because even Roddy knew he was on a limited, you know, schedule at that point. But between Sting and, and Goldberg and, and Savage and so many of the others um, that I mentioned, I just don't think I would have done it. I don't I don't think in my mind, well, I'm not gonna say I think in my mind, Chris Jericho wasn't ready for that type of a run at that point in his career. Arguably, I was wrong. History has proven that. But that had nothing to do with the AOL Time Warner merger. I wish it did because I wouldn't have to take so much shit over it, but (laughs) it didn't. Stockman says, in your work on reality TV, what show were you proudest of and why? Hmm. That's a tough one because for me, reality television was simply transactional. It was make a, a show way get paid, to make a lot of money. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I, I hate to say this, but it's true. I, I wasn't passionate about any of it. I was passionate about being in the television business. I was passionate about finding an opportunity to do something that made me really proud of the work. You know, I did shows that were fun. I did shows that were very successful financially, but there weren't shows that I was passionate about. And I, you know, I'm disappointed to hear myself say that, but that's true. It was transactional. The wrestling business was in my rearview mirror. The reality television business was a huge business, but I think you'd be hard pressed unless you find somebody like Tom Beers who produced shows like deadliest catch and, and things that were really groundbreaking, but those were, those were almost documentaries more than, you know, the reality shows that we were involved with. And again, you have to, you know, who were we? You were Eric Bischoff from the wrestling business and Jason Hervey, who was a child star from the, from the eighties. Well, you know, what types of shows were we likely to get sold? What types of talent were we likely to attract for the types of shows that we were going to get sold? We were going to sell shows that were celebrity-based, competition reality, kind of over-the-top 
reality shows. Um, those were not going to be shows that are going to make people think or are going to change the world or going to be so artistically acclaimed that, you know, you get an Emmy for, they were simply transactions. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of all of the transactions that we made because we made a lot of shows and we made a lot of money making those shows, but there was nothing that I could point to to say, you know what, that was, that was something that I should, that, that I can be really, really proud of. I will say one of the last shows that, that my company produced uh, was a show called dope man. And it was, a, it was a one-off. It was a single episode designed to be, um, that had a lot to do with interventions and drug addiction and the reality of that situation. That was a show that I think had the potential of being something really, really important because it dealt with a, it wasn't a celeb reality show. It wasn't a competition elimination show. It wasn't a bunch of B list Hollywood actors getting together and competing to see who gets a spot in the next big TV series. Those were the kind of shows we were doing. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, grateful for the opportunity to do them, but they weren't going to change anybody's lives. Don't man was a show that could have, and probably would have changed some lives. It just, the timing wasn't right. Didn't work out. There was already a couple other shows that were really successful on the A&E and A&E is the, is the network that bought our show, the dope man thinking that they were going to replace intervention. Uh, what was the name of their show? Intervention. Uh, addiction. Intervention was yeah. their big franchise you know, intervention show for years. And they thought that they were going to end up replacing that show and they were going to replace it with ours, but decided to keep that show for another couple of seasons, which is why our show didn't see the light of day as a series. But the quality of that show was very, very, very good. And I was proud of that. Now I didn't have a lot to do with that show um, to be honest, but um, that was a show that my company produced that could have made a difference. And I would have been really proud of that one. Man of the nineties wants to know if you would have been available would WCW have thought about hiring Jim Cornette, either as a talent or backstage agent or booker. No. Uh, Nick says the motorcycle question again, how many have you owned? What was your first one? What was your favorite one? What got you into them? Mm, well, my first one was a mini bike with a five horsepower Briggs and Stratton that I <laughs> Yep. I got that one when I was about 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old. Quick story behind that. I was a paper boy in Detroit. And back then I used to go to the, the main office. I'd pick up all my papers. I had a route of about 45 or 50 people in the neighborhood that I deliver papers. to. So I'd go pick up my 45 or 50 papers on my bicycle and then I'd take them out and I'd deliver them. Well, the neighborhood that I lived in um, was right on the, right on the border of East Detroit and, uh, and Detroit, the, the houses were really old. You've seen these, I don't know what the type of houses are called, but they're, they're old houses, but they all have these really big porches in the front. Like the porch is the coolest part of the house in reality, huge porches, wooden porches. And this particular house had a big flight of stairs leading up to that porch. Well, these people that lived in this particular house, they had a German shepherd. And the German Shepherd was always tied up around up back. And I knew it was a mean dog. That dog wanted to eat me alive, but it was always on a chain in, in its backyard. For whatever reason, 
the people that own the elderly people that own this dog had left the dog off the chain and the dog was, and I've always been a dog lover my whole life, always been a dog lover. And this dog was sitting up on the porch this particular day, which was odd. But as I got off my bike and, you know, I was pretty smart. When you love dogs, you grow up around dogs, you learn how to read dogs because you can figure out real quickly if you just read their body language, whether they're going to be friendly or not. Well, this one swerved me because I walked, I got off my bike and I'm looking at this dog and I'm thinking, oh, I don't know, this thing's always mean. He's always wanting to kill me whenever he sees me. But he's sitting up on the porch, his tongue hanging out, <laughs> wagging his tail, you know, ears were up, you know. I'm thinking, wow, he's not mad at me today. So I cautiously grabbed my newspaper out of the bag. I slowly walked up the sidewalk, which is about a 40 or 50 foot walk. Got about halfway up. The dog's still wagging his tail, tongue still hanging out. Looked like he knew me all his life. Everything was cool. Until I took one step on the foot on the first step on that porch. And that dog came off that porch like it was shot out of a dog cannon all i saw was a mouth about this big and the dog grabbed me by my face i stood well you probably can't see it now the last five or ten years it seems they've gone the scars away but i had a deep scar on this cheekbone a deep scar on this cheekbone one down here on my lower jaw and another one down here dog literally just grabbed me in the face took me came from the top of the stairs took me down pinned me on the sidewalk right wouldn't let me up now it wasn't like you know shaking me or anything like that but it had me pinned down there pretty good and then the old guy the elderly man the gentleman of course he hears the ruckus right he comes out eventually he was really elderly eventually got down the stairs with a broom and he's whacking on this dog the dog still wouldn't get off me eventually a neighbor came over got the dog off me I ended up with a face full of stitches, ended up going to the hospital. Now, here's the cool part. I go to the hospital, which is about five minutes away, 10 minutes away, got stitched up, went back to the house, grabbed my bike, and finished my paper route. That was me at 10 or 11. Finishing the match, brother. Finishing the match, brother. But the end result was my, my mom and dad sued their insurance company. Right. They had a homeowner's insurance that wasn't coming out of their pocket. But anyway, my, and not, not that that would have mattered. My mom and dad would have sued them anyway. But the way it ended up, eventually, a couple of years later, we got a, I don't know what it was, like four grand or something. It was by today's standards insignificant. Nominal. Yeah. But I got a piece of that. And my dad said, You can get anything you want. What do you want to get? And I got my first motorbike. From there, I went to a Honda 160 Scrambler. I got that bike when I was 14. And that's, I drove it to work. I didn't have a driver's license. I was 14 years old. Couldn't, you know, just by the time oh, I was 15. No, 14. So Minnesota, just got into Minnesota. And I used that bike to drive to work and back. And I went from the Honda 160 Scrambler to a three, Honda 305 Superhawk. And from the 305 Superhawk, I went to a Kawasaki 500. Now, this was in the early 70s. Kawasaki 500s were considered the fastest commercial bike you could buy. So I was still in high school then. From there, I went to my first Harley. It was a 1974 Harley Superglide. 
and then I went bikeless for a period of time. And I don't, I, then I ended up buying, by then I had a couple bucks. I ended up buying a bunch of more motorcycles. I rode them for a year, find out which ones I liked, which ones I didn't like. And now I've got an old beat up. Well, I say beat up. I bought a 1995, they call them a bagger. It's just a bit, it's got all the bags on it. It's like doctors and lawyers and shit drive just because they like to pack shit with them. But I stripped all of that off. I put in a super high performance, 124 inch SNS motor, which delivers about 114 horsepower to the rear tire. I sound like a motorhead, but I'm not. Put in a Baker six speed transmission, took off the belt drive and put on a chain drive. Cause there was so much torque and so much power on this motorcycle it would eat the belts, customize it, painted it all flat black. And I haven't washed it since 2004. So it just looks gnarly and nasty. It looks like an old, if you walk by this bike and you said, how much do you think that bike's worth? Somebody would say, I don't know, maybe 1500 bucks. I've got about 65 or 70 into it. It's mechanically, it's a rocket. It is an absolute rocket, but it just looks like an old beat up bike and it's all dirty and grungy looking, but that's what I like. That's great, dude. I love you telling the, uh, the old paper boy story. I didn't realize so many guys in wrestling used to have paper routes. Rick Flair had a paper route. I mean, I, I had mine in Detroit and in the wintertime, it was cold. Yeah. It was cold. And on Sunday, especially Sunday mornings, like during the week, it was no big deal. Cause I would deliver my papers after school. Right. It, it was cold, but it eh, wasn't that bad. But man, on Sunday mornings, like in January, when he had to get up at four o'clock in the morning, because I'd have to pick my papers up by five. I had to walk to the place where I had to pick up my papers with my wagon because Sunday papers were big. They weighed about four pounds a piece. Right. So I mean, 45 of those fuckers weigh about 160 pounds. Can't carry those on your bike. So I had to take my little red wagon. Yep. I had a little red wagon, walk myself, you know, four or five miles to pick up my papers, walk back four or five miles and then deliver them in the dark and it was so cool i still to this day i don't read newspapers because of it that's tremendous um hey real quick i want to remind you if you've got credit card debt or if you're in a 30-year loan save with conrad.com can get you the best deal you've ever had can we get you a better interest rate on your mortgage absolutely can we help you pay your house off faster and keep roughly the same monthly payment we do it all the time what about credit card debt can we help you knock that out 100 percent we should mention we routinely help our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. We're licensed in more than 40 states. So what are you waiting for? Hurry to save with Conrad.com. NLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Seriously, let me and my staff at First Family Mortgage help you get 2021 started right. Save a boatload of cash at SaveWithConrad.com. Now we all know that Eric Bischoff is a karate man, but one of the reasons Eric got into that is he got bored with workouts. And if you're getting bored with your home workout, man, I've got something that can help you keep engaged, keep learning, keep you excited, keep you motivated. How about a, a workout that's never boring and always challenging? We're talking about our friends at Fight Camp, and Fight Camp brings the boxing gym to your living room. They provide all the gear and top trainers, everything you need to get great workouts in. The boxing workout has always been ranked as one of the best ways to get in shape. And honestly, it's one of the most fun ways to combine both cardio and strength training. 
and Fight Camp brings the boxing gym to you with a mix of cardio and conditioning for a full body workout. It comes with all the gear you need. We're talking the best freestanding punching bag on the market, great boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and their unique punch tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and stats on any iOS device. You can even watch yourself reach new milestones and that sort of goal-crushing mentality is going to apply to every part of your life. You can even compete with like a leaderboard situation with thousands of others. That's going to keep you motivated. And by the way, you can learn from six highly qualified trainers. They've got everybody from a pro MMA fighter to a mother of two to a kickboxing world champion. Maybe you're new to boxing. Well, don't be overwhelmed. Their 12 week starter program teaches you the fundamentals of boxing and still gets you a great workout every time. In fact, they've got access to more than 400 different workouts for all fitness levels and skills and they're adding four new ones every week. But the goal here is to become passionate about it. And fight camp is going to keep you engaged and focused and in the zone because they've got endless variety, uplifting beats, motivating trainers, and powerful technology that combines to create a unique and satisfying workout. And how about this? You learn a new skill and continually get better. By the way, you can try fight camp workouts for free. If you didn't know that, check it out. Just download the fight camp app and select the workout of your choice. And it's a great way to test your trainer and they make it so easy. Check this out. You can buy now and pay later. You can use a firm financing to get your gym right away, make easy monthly payments. And then the gym is yours to keep at the end of your term. If you're approved for financing, you'll pay less than a hundred dollars a month, which is cheaper than almost every boxing gym. Plus you save on the commute time and gas. And since you can have up to five accounts per household, you can get started on a full boxing gym for the whole family at just like 20 bucks a person. Fight Camp offers flexible financing as low as 0% APR. And right now is a limited time offer. You can try Fight Camp for 30 days with their money back guarantee. Just go to joinfightcamp.com slash 83 weeks. That's right. Try Fight Camp for 30 days. And if you don't love it, they'll refund your money. Train like a fighter and turn your sweat into results. The train fight camp for 30 days. Just go to joinfightcamp.com slash 83 weeks. That's joinfightcamp.com slash 83 weeks. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Whether you rent or own, Geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Having a home is hard work. So get a quote at geico.com. Easy. Here's one that we haven't really touched on before, but we talk about it on all my other shows. Jared wants to know. If Eric was going to his favorite barbecue joint, what's he ordering? Pulled pork bladder, bacon, beans, and broccoli. Wow. I love pulled pork. Not on a bun because the bun just takes up space. Yeah. Very, very valuable space. When you get really well done, smoked pulled pork, I had to be careful how I said that because it would come out all fucked up. But man, good pulled pork with the right barbecue sauce. Kind of hard to beat. James wants to know, what was your favorite match growing up in the AWA? Kurt Henning, Nick Bockwinkle. Hands down, I'll never forget it. I still go back and watch it every once in a while. It's, it, it made a, as if you can't tell, it made a really big impression on me. Just the quality of everything about that match. Nick Bockwinkel's character, his technical ability, his promos, 
everything about it was so believable and so good. And Kurt Henning, who was just a kid, he was breaking into the business. His selling, if you go back and find that match, watch this kid, Kurt Hennig, because that's what he was then. Watch, watch him sell and call me or let me know, email me, find me on Twitter, however you find me, and tell me anybody you can think of that was half as good as Kurt Hennig at selling at Kurt Hennig's age or stage in his career. It's awesome. Tad wants to know what's your favorite big game animal to hunt. That's changed a lot over the years. You know, I find myself. I'll still hunt. Like I'll go elk hunting. I went elk hunting this year. I didn't get one. And I wasn't disappointed that I didn't get one. I love to get an elk, but once every two or three years, because it's just Mrs. B and I. So we, you know, we don't have a big family, you know, an elk will last us a year or two. Wow. We vacuum seal it, you know, take care of it and got a good freezer. So, you know, if I go out and get an elk, it'll last us almost two years. Um, sometimes a little longer, but I'm having a harder and harder time getting excited about it. And it's, I mean, physically I'm in more than enough shape to be able to still go out and do it. It's not that, but I, I like looking at them too much. Yeah. And I start feeling less enthusiastic each time, every time I pull a trigger. I'm not sure I'll hunt again. Not because I, I believe in hunting. I Hunting, look, if it wasn't for hunters and hunting, we wouldn't have the abundance of wild game that exists today because it's hunting licenses and all the fees and all the taxes and all the other. If it wasn't for that, you wouldn't have game wardens. You wouldn't have a lot of the laws. You wouldn't have a lot of the things that have allowed wild game to be more abundant today than it's ever been right. in reality. Um, so it's not that I've got anything against hunting anymore. It's just, it's harder and harder for me to get excited about doing it. Now I, I love to hunt ducks and geese. I'll always do that until I'm physically not able to do it anymore. That I truly enjoy doing. And I don't have the same issue with it for some reason, but man, when I see a big elk or, or a big deer and eh, more often than not, if it's not an absolutely perfect situation, meaning it's it's not to get graphic about it, but I'll only take shots that are 300 yards or less because I know that's the limit of my abilities um, and my equipment's abilities, the particular rifle that I use. And if I'm going to take a shot, I have to be 110% sure that it's going to be a one-shot clean kill. I don't want to wound anything. That's just not my thing. And more often than not, now when I go out, I go, I'll, I'll look at it. I'll look through the scope of my rifle. It'll say, okay, is that within 300 yards? Yep. Am I 110% sure I'll be able to take that animal without usually if you do it right, the animal never even hears the gun go off. Yeah. And cause a bullet travels so much faster than the speed of sound. And I find myself going, nah, I'm not 110% sure. Well, five years ago, I would have been. But now, conveniently, I talk myself out of shots. So I'm just this year. It's an interesting question on a wrestling show. But just this year, I realized that I'm probably just done hunting big game. Ryan Durkinson. Oh no, no, Didge Rickinson. Whatever. Ryan says at Judgment <laughs> Day 03, was that shoot vomit or working vomit? And how many fans did you nail 
including puking out of the uh, skybox window, counting the old poor waitress. Yeah, God, that was so much fun. No, that was uh, that was working vomit, brother. That was working vomit. I don't ever get sick. I can't. I'm. I know I've thrown up in my life, but I couldn't begin to tell you when the last time was. I, for whatever reason, I have a cast iron stomach. I can eat anything. I can drink any. Now, I'll feel ba- all kinds of bad in a lot of other ways. I'm not impervious, but for whatever reason, I was born with a cast iron stomach and an intestinal system. So it's really hard to get me to vomit. What What is working vomit? I mean, I, I get the, the reference, but I'm saying they say, Hey, Eric, put this cream corn in your mouth or what is it? Yeah. I don't know what it was. I didn't make it, you know, and I trusted the people and, you know, prop department that put it together for me. And I don't know if it was like mixed oatmeal and water and a couple other things, maybe some chopped up hot dogs thrown in. Um, I'm not really sure what it was, but it, it wasn't real that I'm sure of. Brad Saunders wants to know when it comes to the announcer's table placement on shows, do you prefer ringside or up by the entrance ramp and why what's best for production in your opinion? I, I don't like, I don't like looking at the announcers at ringside. I don't know why to me, it always feels small. Um, I don't mind if they're down on the floor, but I need some distance from the ring and the announce table. I don't like seeing them up close to, to, to ringside. And I can't tell you why I feel that way. I just do. Um, I even, I preferred them the way, obviously the way we had them in nitro where your booth was far removed from the ringside area. Um, and was kind of looking down towards it. I liked the distance between the two because to me, it felt bigger just in general. It made the arena feel bigger when there was distance between the announce table in the ring. Here's one from, uh, Jeff. He says the WCW have to pay Marvel or royalty for Hulk Hogan's name. Like the WWF did. No, because Hulk Hogan owns the trademark Hulk Hogan, not Marvel. Hulk Hogan and his attorneys and Marvel reached an agreement prior to Hulk coming to WCW that gave Hulk Hogan the rights to use Hulk as long as it was Hulk Hogan uh, in a wrestling-related environment. So I didn't have to pay Marvel anything. That was something that Hulk and Marvel had come to an agreement with prior to Hulk coming to WCW. Here's one more modern Clint wants to know, how do you feel sting signing? How do you feel about sting signing with AEW? What would be the best use for his talents for the company at his given age? Um, first of all, I'm thrilled to death. I'm very excited for Steve Borden, the man who plays sting, because I think it's an opportunity for Steve Borden to much like I wanted to do when I went to WWE the first time as a talent, when you have an opportunity to end your career on your own terms, or at least with an opportunity to end it on a positive note, as opposed to a negative one, that's a gift. And I'm really, really happy that Steve Borden has that opportunity and received that gift. As far as the best way to use him, that depends on Steve Borden. Right. I said this to you the day he showed or the day after he showed up. A motivated Steve Borden 
can be a very dangerous weapon in an AEW arsenal as a character and dangerous in a good way. And when I say motivated, it, uh, Steve, obviously he's motivated. And I've, I've, you know, I've watched Steve's appearances um, since he's been back and he looks physically and more than that, he looks emotionally and mentally ready to me. And that's a hard thing to say. That's a hard, not a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to describe what I mean by that, but there is a level of energy that I can sense when I see sting now in AEW, it's kind of like watching somebody that you, you just know he's bursting at the seams. He's ready to go. And that's what, that's when he can become dangerous because he's motivated. I think physically Steve Borden knows his body pretty well. He trained all his life. He, I don't know if he, he, he was a bodybuilder at one point. He certainly understands his body and how to get the most of it. And he also understands the limitations that he has and is mature enough at this point in his career and his life to work around those limitations and not try to work through them. And there's a difference. I, I think if Steve Borden is ready to get in the ring and have a match, he'll find the right situation in AEW to end his career the way he wants to end his career. And I could not be happier for him and for the fans of Sting. You know, there's a lot of them out there that want to see him end his career on a high note. So I think it's best. I think it's great for everybody all the way around. One of the things I enjoy most about our podcast is that it's all about nostalgia. It makes me think about, you know, being a kid and growing up as such a big wrestling fan and growing up cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, but most of us had to give it up when we realized it's full of sugar and junk that we really shouldn't be eating. But then when you realize, Hey, if I cut out all the carbs and the sugar, man, there, there's nothing I can even eat anymore. But you still need to eat breakfast, right? I mean, we've always heard it's the most important meal of the day, and that makes sense. You know, if you if you start your uh, your engine going the right way in the morning, you're going to be more productive at work. You're going to get more shit done. But how do we make this happen? Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is a sponsor of this podcast, and I got to tell you, we are a fan in the Thompson household. And here's why you're going to dig it. Zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in every serving. They've also got four really badass flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. It tastes amazing. It almost feels too good to be true. It's keto friendly. It's gluten free. It's grain free. It's soy free. It's low carb and it's GMO free. Uh, I have absolutely fell in love, uh, with magic spoon. My wife is a big fan of fruity and, and you can probably guess what that tastes similar to. I'm a big fan of cocoa. Uh, our daughter really likes blueberry. You're going to love it too. Find out which one you like the best. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash 83 weeks, grab a variety pack and try them all today. Be sure to use that promo code 83 weeks at checkout. You're going to get free shipping for that. We should mention magic spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed by 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash 83 weeks and use the promo code 83 weeks for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. We believe in it. You will too. Try the cocoa, buddy. You're going to dig it. Magicspoon.com forward slash 83 weeks. Francis wants to know, is there any wrestling topic you wanted to cover on the podcast, but you haven't had a chance to yet? No. <laughs> no. Um, not yet. I mean, think of one, but not yet. 
Uh, Francis also wants to know, did you ever get any interesting or memorable Christmas or birthday presents from the boys, Ted or Vince? Mike Kolb, who is a member of ours, a family member of ours over at Ad Free Shows, yep. <clears throat> sent me <clears throat> an autographed, a Terry Bradshaw autographed football this year. Um, that was the only Christmas gift I got. And I'm very grateful for it. I'm not a gift giver. I just, I don't know. I mean, for me, if, if there are people that are close to me in my life, spending time with them is the best gift I can get. Um, I don't know if giving it is that big a deal to anybody else, but that's that to me, that's what Christmas is all about. I kind of got over the gift giving thing a long time ago. Once the kids got older, um, it just, and it has nothing to do with money or anything like that. When I've had a lot of money, we didn't really necessarily go out and buy a lot of gifts for people and things like that or expect them. And even now our kids, you know, we've tried to instill in our kids that Christmas is not just about giving gifts and, you know, we'll, we'll do small exchanges and things like that, but um, I'm not a gift giving or getting type of guy. I, I feel a little uncomfortable getting gifts as a result of that. So uh, the football is really excited about because I'm a huge Terry Bradshaw fan. So Mike Kolb, thank you very much, brother. I'll be reaching out to you shortly, but uh, no, that's it. Really? Uh, oh, Hulk Hogan gave me a Harley Davidson once. That's I a pretty big that one. Counts, doesn't it? That counts. Yeah. He gave me a 1995 <clears throat> Harley Davidson bad boy. It's a Springer. And guess who has that bike now? Who? My son, Garrett. Oh, yeah. That's cool. He's driving that bike. Actually, we went out. Garrett, uh, there's another really cool cool dude by the name of Steve Chamberlain. I don't know if you remember Steve. He was in TNA for a brief period of time. He got his leg amputated uh, below the knee uh, in a motorcycle accident, as a matter of fact. And he actually, you know, wrestled in TNA, and he was really, really good. And he was, he, he was there for a little while and he moved out of wrestling. Now he owns a painting and construction company uh, here in Tampa where I'm at right now. And uh, this past weekend, Steve said, Hey, I've got a Harley, a big bagger, big heavy bike that I like to drive the type of bike. I like to drive. So uh, Mrs. B got on the, he let us use his bike and which was a great Christmas gift, by the way. So we got on his bike and Mrs. B and Garrett and his wife, Mary Jane, we uh, tooled around uh, Largo and Indian Rocks Beach and, and around Bel Air and a bunch of the cool little beach towns um, here in Florida. So um, that was a cool Christmas gift. Here's a, a hypothetical. If you could have one memento from the WWE warehouse, and let's assume they have everything, what would you want to keep from your career? So let's assume that everything wound up in the WWE warehouse. Cause there's no way for you to know what the inventory is, but you've talked about hair on the show. You didn't really keep much. You kept your old AWA jacket and you just recently gave that away on adfreeshows.com. But in hindsight, if you're looking back and said, man, I wish I would have hung on to this. What would that have been? I think, you know, maybe anything from the original set, whether it was a nitro logo or banner or whatever. I know we had a couple of nitro signs that were part of the, part of the set. Um, that'd be it. Uh, Gil bolt bold Gerg. Well, that's a fun way. Uh, Eric, did you or the other WCW employees ever frequent magic city in Atlanta? 
Uh, what cities had the best or worst gentlemen's clubs? I never went to magic city. Um, there was a strip club that I would go to from time to time in Atlanta. What was the name of that? Uh, I guess I put it out of my mind. <laughs> uh, what other towns were uh, favorite spots for the boys in that regard? I'll just speak for myself. I think Montreal is the strip club capital of the world. I, I, I love Montreal. I thought about moving there for a while, but not because of the strip clubs necessarily, necessarily, but the food is really good in Montreal. I've, too. I've heard the you know, food when you, got, is when you got, when you got a city like Montreal and it's beautiful architecture, some of the hottest strip clubs in the world and great food. Come on. It's it called my name. Uh, but no, Montreal, hands down. Uh, the real Chris Hughes wants to know, Eric, do you have any story, stories about working with Kane? You know, not stories so much, memories, you know, a couple, and they're not, they're only significant to me. Like if I share them with you, you go, well, that's not a big fucking deal. But to me, it was. Um, we, I, I think we were, I don't know, I don't know if we were in a program together or not, whatever, it doesn't matter. And when I say program, that, I mean, that wasn't really in a program. I ended up in a match with him once, maybe twice. But we were both in a town somewhere in Ohio, I think, and we were promoting something, obviously a WWE event. And we started talking history and politics and books. And I realized that Glenn Jacobs was probably one of the most intelligent people I'd ever engaged in a conversation with. He is a very, very well-read, very knowledgeable individual. And I guess it stood out to me because I never really got, you know, working, people don't realize, you know, in my situations in particular, when I was in WWE, I'd show up, I'd, I'd fly into town on Sunday night. I'd go to the building at 11 o'clock Monday morning. I would do what I was doing throughout the day. And everybody was busy. Everybody had different things to do, different things to focus on, different things to memorize, different things to work through. In the case of matches, you're working, putting matches together all day long. You're putting your match together. You're doing interviews. And in the case of WWE, you're probably doing a lot of additional promos and you're meeting sponsors and whatever it is you're doing. So when, when a talent gets to WWE, at 11 o'clock in the morning, it's not like everybody's sitting around playing cards, waiting for the show to start. Everybody is really, really busy. Now there's some dead time during the course of the day, but that's usually individual. So in other words, Conrad, if you and I were both working in WWE, you as a talent, maybe me as an announcer or something, we'd have our own shit to do. Right. And whenever you would have some free time, I'd probably be busy and vice versa. My point to all this is, you very rarely get a chance during the course of a working day, or in my case, I never really got a chance during the course of a working day in WWE to sit down and get to know anybody. The only time you got to know someone is if you were sitting next to them on an airplane, perhaps, or if you're on a bus to them as you're traveling with them as you're traveling through Europe, you have a chance to really get to know somebody. And I never really got to know Kane, Glenn Jacobs. But once I was hang out, hanging out with him, once we were working on this promo together and we were you know, in the same car and we ended up waiting together and we started talking, we realized that we both had a lot of mutual interests in history in particular and, and in politics. 
And I, like I said, I realized that he he's such an intelligent guy. And after that, you know, he, he, he gave me a book. I still have it. I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll butcher the name of the book. I haven't read it in 15 years, since 20 years since he gave it to me. But I, I realized then that he was a much more complicated, not complicated, complex and interesting individual than anybody would ever give him credit for. And working with him was just a gas. He was so easy to work with. First of all, he's so freaking strong. And, you know, when I work with Glenn, he probably weighed, well, I probably weighed 210, 205. So for a guy as strong as Glenn Jacobs or, or Kane, working with me would be like me working with a five or six-year-old kid. They could just pick you up, do whatever it is they want to do with you, take perfectly good care of you, and make it look awesome in the process. So working with him was a dream. It was just so much fun. And he was so intense and he's such a nice guy that just getting to know him, you know, was, was a pleasure for me. Kyle wants to know what's your favorite restaurant in Atlanta. I never really, I mean, there were a lot of great restaurants in Atlanta. Um, I, you know, when I lived in Atlanta, I, I worked so much that when I was home, like on the weekends, Lori and I would take the kids to Longhorn Steaks over in Mableton, Georgia. I mean, we didn't we didn't go out to eat in really nice restaurants that much in Atlanta. Um, it wasn't until after we got out of Atlanta that we started spending more time as the kids got older and we had more time to ourselves and we would explore explore nicer and restaurants. But we really didn't go out. There. I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of great ones and there were some that we would go, you know, sushi bars and things like that. But none of them were like, you know, four star restaurants or any of that kind of thing just local. There was a Mexican restaurant really close to our house that we love going to on, on Saturday mornings. Um, the family owned Mexican restaurant, all real legit Mexican food, handmade, um, nothing that came in a big distributor truck, you know, it was just really great stuff. So those are the kinds of places that I went to. Uh, mayhem sends us a photo and most everyone listening to this has seen a gif of this or a meme of this. It's an elderly lady in the front row at a nitro really going after Hollywood Hogan, pretending to scratch his eyes out. Doug Dillinger's keeping a watchful eye on her and he's got his hand on the guardrail beside her just in case. And of course the question is work, shoot, plant. Do you remember this elderly lady and her interaction with Hogan? That was pretty hilarious. I only know it because I've seen that photo probably 500 times since then, right. you know, on social media, it wasn't a plant. You know, and it, it, that was a fun part of coming out, <clears throat> especially when you've got a lot of heat is you can, you can come out and kind of read the room really quickly and see the people that are the most animated that really want to get into it with you. Now you also know they're not really going to hurt you most of the time, almost all of the time. Now there are exceptions, but, um, and just going out and fucking with them. Yeah. And just getting them angry. I love doing that. And so did Hulk. So that was a shoot. It wasn't a plant. Um, she did too good of a job. If you would have put somebody in there as a plant, it wouldn't have come off nearly as well. Cause it wouldn't have been real. That that was all real, but it was fun. It was fun. And Hogan had to have a blast with that. Oh, he loved it. So, I mean, 
anybody did. I mean, yeah. anybody who had heat, if you didn't like going out and messing with the crowd and getting them involved and getting them engaged, then you were really missing an opportunity. That was like the best part of the night. I used to do it with kids. I love to do it with kids because they would just, they would lose their shit. I mean, the, the little kids were the ones that really wanted to hit you because they were just, <laughs> you go in there and I always do the thing. I put my hands up like this, you know, and challenge. Oh my God. It was fun. Here's one uh, from Adam. Who was more important to WCW? Kevin Nash or Scott Hall? That's hard to say because they were both important in, in different ways, but Hey, you can only be the first person to plant the first flag. And I'd have to give it to Scott Hall in that respect. Wow. Scott Hall coming down, cutting the promo that he cut. He did an outstanding. I mean, that was, that was a really, really important night. Yeah. So I'd have to, I'd have to say Scott, but in no means would I diminish the impact that Kevin Nash had because it was a different kind of impact. Um, Kevin Nash power bombing me off the stage in Baltimore. Another kind of a big pivot point. I don't know that anybody else, you know, if, if it would have been somebody else doing that, I don't think it would have mattered quite as much. I don't know. It's a hard thing to answer. All right, boys and girls, it's time for us to talk about something Eric and I really, really love, our pets. Uh, I'm a big dog guy. I've got two dogs here, Ginger and Baby. No, I didn't. Uh, these aren't my animals. I inherited them from my wife, but I love them just the same. And, man, your dog, Nikki, is like a superstar. You posted a picture the other day of your dog checking the freaking mail, and I showed Megan the picture. She said, that's not a real picture. I said, no, that's where Eric lives. And she's like, when can we go to Eric's house? Uh, <laughs> The dog makes the photo and the backs get the, the landscape. I mean, this is such a big part of your life, Nikki, and your relationship. Fair to say? It is. And, and you're right. By the way, Mrs. B took that picture while I was out of town uh, earlier this week. So I can't even take credit for taking that picture. Um, but yeah, you know, my dog, Nikki, she's a, she's a star. Um, probably more people follow me on social media because of my dog than because of me, which is cool. But yeah, she's a big, kidding aside, she's a really big part. My dog is with me 24-7, if, you know, when I'm home. Um, she she just won't leave my side. She'd follow me in the shower if I would let her. And the relationship I have with this dog, and I've had some great dogs in my life, don't get me wrong, some really great dogs. But for whatever reason, the relationship I have with this dog is like, it's different and at a much higher level than any relationship I've ever had with a dog. She is so much like a person and a member of this family. It's, I can't say it enough, but, and, and, you know, Conrad, you've been around Mrs. B and I long enough. Now, you know her pretty well. We're, we're into nutrition. We're into, and again, I'm 65 years old. I want to be around. I want to be, not just be around. I don't want to just be around. I want to be active. I mean, I'd like to be riding horses 20 years from now and it's possible if you do the right things and you take care of yourself and the, you know, the older you get, the more you have to pay attention to those things. Cause you can get away with things when you're in your twenties, your teens, certainly in your twenties and even your thirties, your body will kind of forgive a lot of stupid shit. 
But as you get older, the cumulative effect of some of that stupid shit starts to manifest and starts showing up in ways that you didn't anticipate when you were in your teens and your 20s and your 30s. Well, the same thing is true with dogs. Only dogs is a dog's lifespan is accelerated by a multiple of seven years. You know, it's dog years, as they say. So if you've got a dog, you know, my dog, Nikki, you know, for, she's an Australian cattle dog. Is, is her breed. Typically, they have a lifespan of eh, 14 to 16 years, maybe a little older sometimes, maybe a little less, unfortunately, sometimes. So if that's their lifespan, it's important to me, knowing what I know now, um, to do the things, including feeding my dog properly at her, you know, she's three now, and I've been feeding her very carefully, and I've been very selective about what I feed my dog because dog food pet food, but dog food in particular in this conversation, much like human food, man, if you're not careful what you eat, you don't know what you're putting in your mouth. You don't know how how non-nutritious 80% of the food that we eat as humans is for you. And yeah, you get a lot of calories and it makes you feel good. And it may even taste good, but nutritionally for, especially now, you know, it, COVID, you know, immune systems, everybody's talking about underlying conditions. What are some of those underlying conditions in humans? Diabetes, self-inflicted, overweight, self-inflicted, heart issues, mostly self-inflicted. Um, so many, you know, COPD, eh, self-inflicted, emphysema, self-inflicted. So many of the diseases and the conditions we have today were number one, self-inflicted, but number two, exacerbated by the fact that we don't take care of ourselves because we don't, we don't allow ourselves to 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 take advantage of the nutrients available to us because we eat garbage food. Well, if you think it's bad for humans, you have no idea how bad it is for pets because there's very little control over what goes into pet food. You don't know. And we become victims of marketing and advertising and it looks good. Gosh, it looks just like hamburger. It must be good for you. It's not necessarily. So I spent a lot of time doing the research, looking into the products. And Solid Gold is a great, great product. I feed it to my dog. My dog loves it, but I've spent a lot of time looking at the ingredients and doing the research to solid gold food, the probiotics, all of the things that it has in it that allows a dog's digestive system to not only function properly, but get the maximum amount of nutrients out of the food that they do eat. So I, I can't recommend it strongly enough. If you love your pet like I do and like Conrad does, if you care about nutrition for your pet, if you want your pet to not only live a long life, but a long active life, then please, please, I beg of you, take the time to do the research, read about solid gold and all the things it has to offer. And I think you'll probably feel as strongly about it as I do. And did you know that up to 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut? or that supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies. Solid Gold is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts that immune system and overall wellness of our pets. Solid Gold is the world's first holistic pet food company in America. Started back in 1974 by Sissy McGill. She really was a trailblazer and a pioneer who disrupted this male dominated industry she created a natural pet food here before it was cool. And she was inspired by the fact that European pet food and the fact that European Great Danes lived longer than their American counterparts. And her first recipe has helped provide quality nutrition and digestive health 
for more than 20 generations of dogs. So we're talking about for more than 45 years, they really have revolutionized this holistic pet food category. And now they've got a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs, including whole grain and grain-free, wet food, supplements like sea meal, and 100% human-grade bone broth for dogs. This is all from Solid Gold, by the way. And these Solid Gold foods are different because they cleanse your digestive system with the whole superfoods, balanced with living probiotics, and fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, all supporting gut health and nourishing your pet both inside and out. But right now, because you listen to this show, you can go see the Solid Gold Deal of the Week at solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks. Seriously, if you love your dog, go check out solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks to see the deal of the week. Remember, that's solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks. Uh, this one is from um, Mark. He says, who was a wrestler or wrestlers that surprised you because they got over big with fans in WCW unexpectedly? I, I know this is going to sound weird, but I have to say Bill Goldberg. Hmm. You know, nobody expected Bill to get over the none, none of us. None of us. Keep in mind, Bill Goldberg came out in dark matches just so we could kind of get an idea of how we'd react to a crowd. Right. We had no idea the type of reaction that he was going to get coming out in dark matches. This is like three weeks after he'd been in a power plant. It's okay. He's, you know, he's big. He's got some great athletic ability. You know, maybe we do something. Let's send him out in a dark match and see how he does. Holy shit. And I know that sounds weird because one would assume, well, he's obviously he's Bill Goldberg. You would expect him to get over. No, you wouldn't. Right. Nobody else had ever gotten over like that, that fast. So it would be unrealistic to say that you would expected it, but I'd have to give it to bill. I mean, that was a freaky situation. Bill was, has there, has there been anything else like bill since bill? I don't think so. Has there been anybody that's come out of the shoot and had as much impact on the wrestling business as early in their career as bill Goldberg? No, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe you're wrong. Chris Carpenter wants to know what was your favorite belt design? I just like the old big belt. You know, I'm a traditional kind of guy. I like belts that feel like they're actually important and they mean something. The big gold belt to me is it's the belt of all belts. There's never been anything as good since. We agree. Um, Latasha says, Eric, if you had the chance to be a GM of a wrestling company today, in 2021, which one would it be and why? Now, of course she means on air. And by the way, shout out to Latasha being uh, one of our five listeners of the female gender. <laughs> Welcome to the testicle festival. Yeah. Um, we're going to count SmackDown raw and NXT as separate brands, even though they shouldn't. I don't know. I, it's all in my rear view mirror. I have no desire to do any of that anymore. I miss performing. Don't get me wrong. I love to it, but being a general manager is a, 
it's a very limited character. Yeah. It's just, and I've, this is going to, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm trying to figure out a way to say this with sounding, not sounding like an arrogant prick. Well, let me say it for you. You're over it. You did it in WWE and you were done with it when you left there. And not because I didn't enjoy it, but because I did all there is to do. Yeah. And as a talent, the last thing you want to do is go out there. I mean, I see, I have thought this through. I, I really have. Here's what would happen on any show. I go out there. It'd be a huge reaction, right? It would. And I'd be great at it. And for about three weeks, people would be excited about it. And about a month after that, it'd be going, oh, this again. Yeah. Been there, done that. Because there's not, there's just no scenario you can put me in creatively as a general manager in that role that isn't a derivative of something else that's been three done three dozen times before. Right. And the fans would lose interest so fast, and that would be disappointing to me. And that's why I say I wouldn't be, it's not that I wouldn't love to go out there one more time and be a performer. I would, I'm a whore for that. <laughs> I, I, I just am. I love doing it on a personal level. I would be so excited to do that until I got the feeling from the audience that they weren't excited. And then I'd be depressed about it and I'd be sorry I did it. So when I say I'm not interested in doing it, it's not because I think I'm too good for it or I don't think anybody else is worthy of having me or any of the other things that some people will want to read into what I'm saying. It's because I know I would disappoint people after a period of time. And I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, said plainly, the GM things just played out, right? It's, it's, it's a doom for role. me. It is now. Maybe somebody else can come along. You know, look at Adam Pierce is doing a good job with it. Well, but he's not being just in my opinion, he's not trying to be the, the sort of heel GM. And I think that's really what we're talking about here is, you know, the, the character that's really trying to ruin the heels. I mean, ruin the baby faces. Good time. That's not really his role, right? No, not yet, but okay. I'm you know what I like? What, what, what Pierce, first of all, he's just really good in the role. He's very natural. It feels like he's just kind of been tucked into that role and it feels like he's been there forever, but he hasn't. It feels so organic and so natural that it fits and it flows. Now, as time goes on, he can become more of a character, either more of a babyface GM or more of a heel GM, whatever. But whatever it ends up being, it will feel very natural. It will feel fresh because of the way they started it. Act one. How important is act one? We're going back to the same old shit I talk about all the time. It's the beginning of how they're doing it that that is going to end up defining the potential that that character has. But it feels so real and so natural for him that if something happens and he has to, all of a sudden he has to come down hard on heels, um, it'll feel believable and real. Or if he has to come down hard on a babyface team or a babyface individual, it won't feel forced. It will feel organic. And because of that, I'm interested in it. And I'm interested in, in how he performs. But for some, for, But for me, because of my history and who I've been on camera, I, I wouldn't have that opportunity to play that role. And Adam can still get physical. Not that I can't, but it won't be believable and it won't be entertaining to watch where someone like Adam could, and that gives him some dimension as a GM. 
It gives he's an authority figure that can actually stand up for himself in, in a physical situation and it won't feel forced or unbelievable. Whereas someone like me, who's buying that? Right. And in the in the you know, the the cerebral mental game shit, you know, fucking the baby faces. God almighty, how many times have we seen that? Here's a silly one. Uh, this is from Jared. Did you ever want or ask to get your did you ever want or ask to paint your face and be an honorary juggalo with the insane clown posse? And if so, what would have been your Fago of choice? First of all, there's nothing wrong with Fago. I grew up drinking <laughs> Fago. You're a Detroit boy. I'm a Detroit boy. So Fago is kind of like Borden's milk. When he used to deliver milk to your house, Borden's dairy was the place that delivered it. it had a picture of a Daisy, the cow on it with a sunflower around Daisy's you know, face. That was the logo. That's just Detroit and Vernon's Vernon's ginger ale is another Detroit one. Um, but no, I never, I never thought I'd fit in that insane clown posse crowd, love and respect the guys grateful for the opportunity to have to work with them. They were professionals. Everything went great, but I don't see me at an insane clown posse event. I just don't see it happening. <sighs> I don't know why that tickled me, but it did. Anthony Murray says, Mrs. B isn't the original Mrs. B you were married before. What happened to her as nothing was mentioned in your book. None of anybody's fucking business. How's that roll title? That, uh, the man of the nineties wants to know what was the relationship like between WCW and NWA Wildside? Seems like if WCW had lived, that could have been a developmental territory. Uh, I don't know that there was, was there a relationship? If there was, it was kind of arm's length, informal type of thing. You know, we were always looking for a place to train new talent or, you know, get a look at new talent before anybody else had a chance to get a look at them, but it would have been a very informal type of relationship. Uh, Here's one. Uh, This is one that we've never really talked about before. And I'm kind of surprised that we haven't because you talk about it a lot, but we haven't had a question. Mr. Williams says throughout your career, we've seen your weight fluctuate. What were the things that you would do that make you go, Hey, I knew to lose weight. And how do you do so? Great question to be asking after a week and a half here in Florida (laughs) over the holidays. (laughs) It's funny. The thought was just crossing my mind this morning. (laughs) Um, as far as, I mean, I'm not really sure what the question was again. What, well, like, you know, are there triggers where you would say, oh man, I need to lose weight. Like what would motivate you to do it? Would it be, you watch your tape back, uh, your pants start fitting a little tight. What's the like cue to you? Oh man, trying to get this under control because we have seen you sort of be all over the board. Um, when I just saw you recently, when you were at Huntsville, I mean, you look like you're in the best shape I've ever seen you in. Um, but maybe some of that was just boredom in quarantine. I don't know, but what what's the trigger? For example, you know, I put on, I stepped on the scale yesterday and I think I put on about seven or eight pounds in the last, since we left Cody, which was December 8th. So it's been now three weeks or so. And I put on about eight pounds. Most of that I probably put on, you know, literally over four or five days over Christmas because all we did was eat and drink. Um, For me, it's how I feel. 
Like the heavier I get, the less energy I have. I start feeling sluggish. I don't feel like doing anything physical. And I really enjoy, like, sounds like an old man thing, but I really enjoy taking my dog out for really long hikes, especially when we're in Wyoming and we're up in the mountains and you're kind of working at it. Um, I, I just love the feeling I get when I do that. And when I'm too heavy, like I'm five, 10 and a half and I'm not a big bone person. Right. My ideal weight should probably be about 175 pounds, maybe 170. Um, right now I'm carrying about 200, a little over 200 and I'm feeling it already. So I'll get back down to about 180, 185 here in the next month or so. And it's not vanity. It, it is a little bit, you know, I'll, cause I'll get and, and here's the other thing that happens. I'll say, ah, nobody's calling me to do TV anymore. Ah, I'm done with that. Don't have to worry about how I look anymore. And I'll blow up to 225, 230, and my phone will ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you idiot. Now, now I gotta, you know, now I gotta go hardcore DEFCON 5 Navy SEAL kind of bullshit, you know, just so I don't feel like a complete idiot showing up on camera. Um, but now I just I just like to feel good. I like to have a lot of energy and I like to take my dogs on like long hikes. And if I want to go, if I want to do something physical, I want to be able to feel good doing it. I love to run. It's a little harder for me now because I've done enough damage to my right knee over the years, had an operation or two and just fucked it up being an idiot, you know, between wrestling and high school and college and martial arts and shit. Um, it's a little harder on me now to run, but I love to run. So right now my motivation, honestly, is I want to be able to run like five miles every other day just because it makes me feel good. And in order to do that, I've got to, I've got to be light. If I'm carrying around, can you imagine, you know, throwing 30 pounds of just dead weight on your back and going for a jog, you know, uh, it's harder. So if I want to run again, I have to get myself down to about a buck 75 or a buck 80 and that's my motivation right now. And how I do it, um, there's a diet called the keto diet. It's really simple for me. And I, and I fast. I do a lot of intermittent fasting. So when I decide, once I get home from Florida, well, not before I leave, if I wait till I get home, I'll be up to 2.30 again. I'll look like a little tiny version of Yokozuna. Um, I'll do intermittent fasting, which means I won't eat anything till about noon and I'll be done eating all day by six and I'll eat food that's high in nutritional fat and not bad fat, but nutritional fat. I'll keep a moderate protein intake and almost no carbs and I'll quit drinking because drinking absolutely fucks up my diet. No matter how hard I could work out, I could run, I do all kinds of shit. But if I drink, and you know, not even a lot, but for whatever reason, when I drink, it just fucks up my diet, something fierce. So I have to do all of the above keto diet, fasting, no drinking, and I'll drop weight like a motherfucker. Four or five more, and then we'll wrap things up here. Pete Gladstone says, Would Goldberg streak have kept going if he had a better tan at Starcade 98? You know, and I talked to him about that. I said, Bill, we're running out of rope here. There's only one way to keep the streak alive. 
And I can't keep the streak credible when you show up looking like a big jacked up glass of milk. So either, either get the tan or you can't be the man. Yeah. We're going to have Scott Hall electrocute you. I mean, you figure it out. Uh, Chris says, could the new blood storyline have been successful if it were done two years earlier and with guys like Jericho Guerrero, Benoit and Mysterio. It's a great question. It's a great question. And I think the answer is yeah, possibly. I mean, there was nothing wrong with, there was a lot right about that story. There was a lot of things right about that story and it had potential. It certainly was not executed as well as it could have been. And part of that was that there just wasn't enough thought given to it. It wasn't something that was being, there was no long-term plan for it. I think if there would have been a better job, and that's partly my fault, by the way, mostly my fault. In fact, I'll take full credit for that one, um, or full blame, I should say. Um, that's that's a story that could have and should have had a longer-term plan, and it, it just didn't. Mr. O'Brien says, greetings from Ireland, Jameson or Guinness? Jameson for now, but I want to tell you about something I learned over the holiday break. Conor McGregor's proper, proper 12 is not a bad way to go. Are you going to watch this? Uh, I don't know if you've tried it. I was a cynic because I'm a Jameson guy. Right. And I made the mistake of reading a couple reviews months ago. And my son had a bottle at home. He said, try this. And I went, oh, man, it's, it's a gimmick scotch or Irish whiskey. I'm, I'm not into gimmick Irish whiskey. He said, no, try it. I think you'll like it. Reluctantly, I did the sniff test. I went, hmm, not bad. Bam. Are you going to watch uh, Conor McGregor fight later this month? Who's he fighting? It's a rematch. Uh, I think Portier. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'll watch that. I think Conor McGregor is a great character. Man can sell a fight. I love watching him. Let's, uh, let's do a few more here. Um, Kyle wants to know any performer ever attempt to get physical with you during a creative disagreement. Mm, I think Kevin Nash came close once or twice. Any stories there? No, nothing came of it. Um, no, not that I can think of. I mean, physical. What I mean, you know, I, I think Kevin may have wanted to for you know split second or two, but he was too smart for that. You know, nothing good would have come out of that. He would have felt horrible about it as soon as it was over, and um, I would have been much of a challenge for him. So the, he wouldn't have gained much out of that, but, um, no, no. Here's one from, uh, live for greatness. Why did nitros in the NWO era always end in brawls? Cause everybody was always so pissed off. They were just hot all the time. Everybody wanted to have all of the attention. Everybody wanted to be in the main event. Everybody wanted all the leverage. Everybody wanted all the influence. And it just wasn't possible to make everybody happy. So they just 
tore it up. I don't know, brother. I don't know. Here's here's the. I'm trying to make a fun answer out of that. I can't. Um, obviously, um, the idea I think you know with nitros were to leave them hot. Yeah. Leave them wondering what was going to happen next week. Leave it kind of open ended. I preferred to go off the show with action as opposed to going off the air with um, dialogue or, or, you know, announcers. Uh, I liked leaving the shows hot and it was often best to do that in a pull apart or some kind of a schmaz in the middle of the ring, a cliffhanger, a cliffhanger, if you will. Last one. Anthony says, say the AWA never went out of business and you took over. What would you have done if you took control of the AWA? Well, that's some fantasy booking right there. Yeah. I'm going to have to let that one slide, brother. That, that would, that would take some time and, and some thought and a bong. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you won't need a bong for next week. We're going to be covering WCW sin. It's the January 2001 pay-per-view in the home stretch of WCW Stick around for later in the month, though. We're going to do a fun little crossover that we're going to tease with you next week. I'm not going to tell Eric what it is, uh, but we'll be back on January 25th with Clash of the Champions 32. Uh, We've got a lot planned for February as well. We're going to cover a TNA Against All Odds 2011 pay-per-view. Of course, the Super Brawl Revenge, which was the 2001 version of Super Brawl. Harlem Heat will be on the docket, as will Ernest Miller and Vern Gagne. Lots of great profile pieces coming your way in February. Of course, you get all these shows early and ad free, including video of the show we're doing right now and all our other shows. It's adfreeshows.com. And uh, if you'd like to ask a question about next week's episode for WCWCN, you can go find out right now over at 83 Weeks. He's on Twitter at eBischoff. I'm there at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we're out of time. We'll see you next week right here on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Perhaps the best way to introduce a friend to 83 weeks is to direct them to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash 83 weeks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button right now. It's totally free. You're going to sneak peek of upcoming shows, plus some exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. And perhaps best of all, some great new giveaways coming your way. Absolutely for free. It's youtube.com forward slash 83 weeks. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and be sure to check out the shirts over at ericbischoff.com. If it's been a while, we need to remind you we're adding new ones all the time. Plus there's tons of new gimmicks at boxofgimmicks.com. Like right now we have some of Dave Silva's cover art on posters, lots of different ways to support the show and be a part of the 83 weeks community. It's youtube.com forward slash 83 weeks. Of course, ericbischoff.com and who could forget boxofgimmicks.com. And Hey, if you'd like to advertise your product or service here on the show and hear Eric Bischoff brag about you or your business. It's easy to make that happen. Just go to advertisewithconrad.com. I'm telling you, you'll be glad you did. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Everybody's heard this. Make sure your sweetheart knows she's your star. Picture it. It's Valentine's Day, and she opens this really cool gift box and out slides a blue rose trimmed in gold. You know, the blue color of the sky just before the sun sets, and you can start seeing all the stars sparkling in the night sky. That's breathtaking. Now picture a magnificent real 24 karat gold rose deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold with petals in this rich blue color covered in sparkles that mimic the stars in the sky. That's twinkle twinkle. 
the brand new exclusive rose only available at Steven Singer Jewelers. Real jewelers, real roses, really dipped in pure 24 karat gold with a real lifetime guarantee. It's always the number one Valentine's Day gift that lasts forever. It comes with your own free personal love note and it ships fast and free to the love of your life, your wife, your daughter, or your sweetheart. And it says, I'm so lucky to have you in my life. Steven's brand new roses is $79, but his real 24 karat gold dipped roses started only 59. Go right now to IHateStevenSinger.com. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hey, before we get out of here, I want to remind you that at SaveWithConrad.com, we don't just help people refinance. We can help you buy your dream home, but don't take my word for it. Check out Mickey. That's right. Mickey James from WWE. She and her husband, the NWA world champion, Nick Aldis went to save with Conrad.com. We hooked them up and they left us this five-star review. Conrad and his entire team were amazing. We found the perfect house and they worked so hard to make it a reality. So grateful. I would suggest them to anyone looking to buy a home, refinance or upgrade their existing home. If you want someone who will work hard for you, this is your team. Thanks guys. Mickey. No, thank you, Mickey. We appreciate you and Mr. Aldis putting your faith and confidence in us. And we're going to treat you guys listening at home right now the exact same way. We're hooking up all the stars, and you can be our next success story. I want to remind you, with interest rates lower than ever, that means your buying power is at an all-time high. What's that mean in layman's terms? You can get a bigger, nicer, better house with a cheaper monthly payment than ever before. Find out how easy it is to get started right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And by the way, if you don't qualify right now, we're going to get you a battle plan to show you how to qualify later this year, but you need to start right now at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And did I mention we're licensed in more than 40 states? Step one to getting into your dream home, savewithconrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.